Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members, veterans, and sometimes their family members. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home, baby. I actually do have some very sad news for those of you who listened to my last episode on Soldier Elder Fernandez out of Fort Hood. The day after I released my episode, officials announced the elder was found deceased. He was actually found hanging from a tree. And that was about 30 minutes. He was found about 30 minutes outside of Fort Hood. Now, the army has ruled it a suicide, although I believe the family and others are asking for more investigation to kind of figure out what happened or what truly happened to him. I did want to tell you about a few things that I did while I was gone. I did create a Facebook discussion group, so stay tuned to the end so I give you more information about that. And I also created a Patreon fan club. Yes, it's a place where you can get more military murder content, but you'll hear more about that later on in the show. Well, while I'm at it, today I am bringing you the most bizarre and shocking case involving military spouses. Hopefully you're not eating because you may actually lose your lunch. So listener, beware. Join me today as I tell you about the murder of 23-year-old Cindy Ray. Now, let's dig in. My primary source for today's story is a 1992 book by D.T. Hughes, Most of today's quotes will come directly from his extensive research and coverage of the trial, unless I say otherwise. Additional resources include the Albuquerque Journal, the LA Times, Miami News, Montgomery Advisor, the Daily Herald, and the Tyler Morning Telegraph. Let me set the scene. It's July 23rd, 1987, near Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. If you know anything about Kirtland, it's near Albuquerque, and it has a high desert climate. July is the hottest month of the year with averages of about 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Now imagine being at the end of your pregnancy during the hottest month of the year. You're walking around, I mean, you're waddling around trying to figure out when your baby is coming. Will my water break in the middle of the store? Well, 18-year-old Darcy Pierce was a young military wife of Raymond Pierce, an airman at Kirtland. They had been awaiting the birth of their baby for months now, To both parents, it seemed longer than a usual pregnancy, and Darcy was due to be induced at 5 p.m. on this date. But when Ray got home from work early that day at 2 p.m., he couldn't find his wife. He was worried a little bit because where could she be? She should be home waiting for him to go to the hospital for the induction, but he tried not to panic. He waited, and he waited, and he waited. Then, finally, the phone rang. He needed to go to the hospital ASAP. His wife had delivered the baby on the side of the road. 
Simultaneously, Darcy was in the parking lot of an Acura dealership. She had pulled her Volkswagen bug into the lot. Her car had seen better days, but there was no time for questions. Darcy had pulled into the dealership seeking help. She needed an ambulance. She had her baby on the side of the road. It was such a sudden and fast delivery that Darcy took off her dress to cover the baby. And at this point, she was wearing just a slip. Now, remember, this is the 80s. Women wore slips and they wore dresses. Darcy was a tiny little thing. She was pretty with long brown hair and she was petite. And like any lady who has ever given birth knows, you have the baby and five minutes later, you still look kind of like you're nine months pregnant. Well, that's what Darcy looked like. The ambulance pulled into the dealership and swooped Darcy, Darcy's newborn. And Darcy was so shaken up that she wanted one of the dealership workers to come with her. She arrived at the University of New Mexico Medical Center. And by the time of her arrival, the hospital was already buzzing about the most amazing story. A military wife had just given birth alone on the side of the road. Mama and baby needed top-notch assistance as soon as they arrived. But when Darcy and the baby arrived, she didn't care a lick about her own health. All she wanted was for the staff to tend to the baby. Was the baby okay? Of course, this is understandable. Any mama who has given birth alone on the side of the road, which is not me, but I'm assuming that they would want to ensure that the baby is fine, clear the baby's lungs, take care of the baby. Once the baby was taken away, though, and was being tended to, all eyes turned to Darcy. The ER and the OBGYN doctors, they wanted to check Darcy. Was the birth so quick that she tore her delicate lady parts? Did she need stitches? Was she bleeding? Did she pass the placenta? I mean, these are all reasonable questions. Well, those questions didn't matter because Darcy didn't want to be touched. At first, the doctors figured that she had just been through a lot. She was worried about her baby. So they were like, "Okay, okay, we're not going to push the issue. But then Ray arrived, her husband, and Darcy was so happy. She was so excited to share the news with her hubby. She gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Her name was Amanda Michelle. She was six pounds, eight ounces. The hospital staff continued to press Darcy for an exam, but she got angry. Then she got irate. And then she got straight indignant with the hospital staff. She made it known she didn't want to be touched. Her only concern was her daughter. And you know what? She needed a birth certificate, stat. Hmm. The hospital staff decided they would wait to press Darcy for a physical exam. They got her to lay on a bed and they started her up on an IV. Eventually, though, word got around that a woman who had given birth on the side of the road was refusing to be checked. So Dr. Susan Graham, an OBGYN resident, went down to check on the situation. She introduced herself and then she approached Darcy as she lay in the bed and she attempted to place her hands on Darcy's belly to check about her uterus and do, you know, the normal postpartum belly exam where they kind of like squish down on your belly and it hurts like hell. But as soon as the doctor placed her hands on Darcy, Darcy quickly rolled over. Darcy was avoiding being touched at all cost, but she hadn't moved quickly enough because when Dr. Graham touched Darcy's belly, she knew right then and there, Darcy had not given birth in the last 24 hours. So what gives? 
Remember when Ray Pierce got home from work and was looking for his wife? Well, a little later that same day, there was a different airman, security forces Sam Ray. Well, Sam Ray was looking for his pregnant wife, Cindy Ray. Cindy was Sam's wife of four years and she was close to 40 weeks pregnant and she was due to give birth to their second child. Sam and Cindy were the proud parents of two-year-old Luke. Well, on July 23rd, Cindy had a well baby appointment on base at the clinic at 2 p.m. On that particular day, she was nervous because the baby hadn't moved as much in the last week as usual. Now, most mamas know that as the baby grows in your uterus towards the tail end of the pregnancy, the baby doesn't have a ton of room to move. And even though Cindy was a veteran mom, I mean, this wasn't her first time, she was still worried. Sam usually went to the baby appointments with Cindy, but he didn't go to this one. But she told him that she was going to pick him up from work after her 2 p.m. baby appointment. A few months earlier, they had purchased a mobile home close to the base. Now, buying a mobile home close to the base made it easier for Sam to ride his bicycle to work and it allowed Cindy to keep the family car for her Tupperware deliveries. And also it was better for her because she was pregnant and she had the toddler. Now they had just purchased a red blazer. I think it was like that week of July 23rd. On July 23rd, while Sam was at work, he got a call from the clinic to let him know that Cindy was running a little late because she wanted to check on the baby. Now, Cindy had asked a nurse to call Sam to let him know that she was running late. But most importantly, she wanted Sam to go pick up Luke from the babysitter. Sam eventually got out of work. And as he crossed the street to the clinic, he saw their brand new red car in the parking lot. Now, he went inside to meet up with Cindy because he figured, okay, her car's in the parking lot. She must still be inside. He asked the lady sitting at the front desk about Cindy. She pointed him to an exam room and Sam walked into the room and was so embarrassed because he had walked in on a different pregnant lady and her husband, not his wife, on the exam table. Oh, snap. So he bashfully walked out. Then he spoke to someone else, another clinic employee, and she told Sam that he had just missed his wife. Maybe three, five minutes tops. She left the clinic. Sam figured, okay, we missed each other. So when he goes back outside thinking he's not going to see his car anymore, the car is still there, still parked in the parking lot. He kind of scratches his head. And even though he was running late to pick up Luke, he didn't care. He wanted to figure out where his wife was. He looked for his wife for close to an hour. He looked around the clinic, looked outside, but he came up empty handed. Eventually, he goes and picks up Luke, but he wants to know where Cindy is. So he goes back to his job to see, Okay, let me quadruple check. Maybe she left me a message, maybe something. He's looking around the clinic again. And three hours pass since Cindy has last been seen. And Sam says she's missing and he files a missing persons report. Now, protocol back in the 80s was 24 hours. But due to the fact that Cindy was extremely pregnant and the fact that she was married to a security forces troop, well, the report was made almost immediately. And this missing persons report was released to the public. After he filed the missing person report, Sam went home. And when he went home, he didn't stop. He called everyone he could think of. He called the Tupperware supervisor. Maybe she know. He called the clinic again. Maybe she showed up. He called the hospital. He was worried sick. 
it was to the point where Sam began to get a pit in the bottom of his stomach. You see, two weeks earlier, he had the most realistic dream, more like a nightmare. In his nightmare, his wife was killed. She was murdered. But in his dream, even though his wife was murdered, he was sitting there with his two kids. Now, what in the world? Not only was he freaked out by the dream that his wife died, but he was freaked out to be holding his little baby because he hadn't seen her be delivered. Now, Sam had confided in Cindy about the nightmare, but she just brushed it off like, come on, stop. It's just a nightmare. No need to freak out. But in this moment, on July 23rd, 1987, Sam was freaking out. Where was his wife? Why was her car still parked in the clinic parking lot? Was she kidnapped, raped, dumped? What? Sam's career as a security forces troop flashed before his eyes. He had seen the worst of the worst. He knew that evil was real. In fact, years back, before he had kids, he had a conversation with Cindy, a conversation that came flooding back to his mind in this moment of despair, where he didn't know what to think. He had called all the hospitals. No one had heard from Cindy since she had last been seen at the clinic. Now, back in the day, Sam had told his wife, listen, sweetie, if you're ever kidnapped, you want to go along with the kidnapper and play nice. You want to gain their confidence and you want them to think that you're cooperating. But then once you've gained their confidence, you fight like hell. You dig your thumbs into the person's eyes. You kick them in the freaking gonads and you run like hell. But all these thoughts about these flashbacks and these nightmares, they weren't helping Sam. At this point, the sun was setting and little Luke asked, where's mommy? Sam didn't know how to answer that. Sam tried to keep it together, but then he sat there and just cried, wondering about Cindy, wondering about his baby. By morning, Sam's unit called him to inform him they needed to retrieve all weapons from his home. This was for safety. Sam knew the drill. He wanted more information though, but he got none. Then the Tupperware supervisor called Sam. Now, she was following up from the phone call the previous night and she contacted all the Tupperware ladies and none of them had heard from Cindy. But one of the ladies heard through the grapevine that something strange happened at the university hospital last night. A woman appeared at the hospital with a baby and Tupperware lady heard rumblings that the baby was freshly born, but the baby was not the woman's. Now, Tupperware supervisor was like, oh, and I heard so-and-so from the Albuquerque PD was assigned to the case. Now, listen, Trick Crime Army, I'm gonna stop right here. If I ever go missing, don't call the police. I mean, really call the police, but call the spouses club. They will find me, trust me. Okay, Sam, after hearing from Tupperware lady, was shocked to hear the story, but he hadn't heard anything and since this was all, you know, rumor mail, not 100% sure if there was a connection, they just left it at that. But Sam called up his contacts and security forces about the story, and they didn't reveal anything. A few hours later, though, they showed up at Sam's doorstep. And guess what? They confirmed Tupperware Lady's story. But now they had more. The lady at the hospital had revealed 
She took the baby from a lady's body and left the lady in the mountains. But they had not yet confirmed if the lady was Cindy Ray. (sighs) Oh boy. Sam held his breath as he said, I want to see my baby. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru, Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy. And it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Cindy Lynn Giles and Sam Ray met in 1979 in Payson, Utah. They were both from the area and they met in high school, but like most high school couples, they broke up and eventually got back together. But for Cindy and Sam, it was a bit different. You see, Sam was deeply religious, Mormon, and he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to go on a missionary trip, and so he did. While away, Sam and Cindy kept in touch, although they were not dating, But once they got older, they realized that they were meant for each other. Sam joined the Air Force, and after his initial training, they married, and their first assignment as a married couple was in Germany. While there, they got pregnant with their first baby, and Cindy started a job on base at the youth center. Sam was doing well for himself as a security forces troop. He was even assigned to the Office of Special Investigations, OSI, and these are the investigators for the Air Force. And in this job, he did a lot of really cool things. He was involved in a pretty big drug sting. And the crazy part was that he would occasionally bust people and then bump into them around base. Now, Sam always wondered if the people that he busted would be capable of, you know, I don't know, going after him or his family in a personal way. This may be why he advised his wife of what to do in a situation were she ever to be assaulted in the street. He was always somewhat paranoid. As a married couple, Sam and Cindy were both deeply into the Mormon church and they believed in the forever family. And they knew that they would be together here on earth and then again after death. 
Darcy Kayleen Ricker Pierce was a deeply disturbed young woman. She was from Portland, Oregon. Her mother gave her up for adoption at 11 days old. She was adopted into the loving Ricker family. Now, the Ricker family had two young sons, but their births were pretty traumatic. Sandra, who's Mrs. Ricker and Darcy's mom, she knew that she wanted a daughter. And when the opportunity presented itself, she jumped at the thought of having a baby girl. And the Rickers loved Darcy. But Darcy would always say that she felt like an outcast in her family. Sandra was always very open with Darcy about her adoption, you know, more in an effort to be transparent. But Darcy was always obsessed with her adoption. She couldn't fathom why her mother didn't love her enough to keep her. Darcy's brothers would always mess with her and laugh at her for being adopted. But early on, Darcy had a yearning for becoming a mother. She wanted more than anything to prove that she could be not only better than her biological mother, but better than her adoptive mother. Darcy, by the way, hated her adoptive mother. And part of the reason was because her adoptive mother was overweight. Now, Darcy imagined that her biological mother was thin and pretty, and she just yearned to meet her one day. Later in her life, experts would indicate that Darcy appeared to have been abused, either physically, sexually, or emotionally as a child, because Darcy revealed that she became sexually active with a male cousin at the age of six years old. And I mean full-blown sexually active, not just playing doctor. Darcy, however, has never confirmed whether she was abused. In any event, something that is clear is that Darcy had always been a pathological liar, a liar to the extent that she believed her own lies. During her younger years, she had a BFF who would later reveal that Darcy could tell a wicked story. She could tell an entire story with so much detail that it was believable. And then a few days later, when her friend asked Darcy a follow-up question about her story, Darcy would be like, huh? What? I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. This happened on so many occasions that the friend lost count and the friend just stopped believing anything that Darcy said. And let me just add, Darcy's parents wanted Darcy to succeed. So even though they didn't have a lot of funds, they put Darcy in a private school in the second and third grade. But Darcy eventually got expelled for lying. Although Darcy hated her mother, she loved hanging out with her father. She was a tomboy and she loved going deer hunting with her pops. She wasn't big into pulling the trigger per se, but she went along for the fun of it. But after her dad caught the game, Darcy was down to gut and clean the deer, not once shrieking, yuck. Darcy met Ray Pierce while they were in high school. Darcy went to a Catholic high school, although she wasn't religious at all, and Ray was in the public school down the road. But according to D.T. Hughes, they were in the Rotary Club together, and that's how they met. It was during Darcy's junior year of high school that she won a scholarship to go to South Africa for a year through the Rotary Club. She was over the moon. She had always talked about traveling and she told everyone that she was like upper middle class, even though that was actually not the truth. But for once, she was so excited to travel and to South Africa, like how prestigious. 
Now, Darcy and Ray had to call it quits while she was gone, but when she returned, they picked up right where they left off. While Darcy was gone for a year, the Rickers went about their lives noticing that, wow, everything was particularly calm when Darcy was gone. But as soon as she returned, the family turmoil picked back up and it got so bad that Darcy moved out while she was in high school. Now, the spring of her senior year of high school, Darcy had an ovarian cyst that had to be removed. And it was this event that I believe had Darcy thinking about wanting to become a mom. She soon graduated from high school and she was working at the G.I. Joe's department store. Ray was working at a hobby shop and he was also taking some college courses. Later that summer after her senior year, Darcy missed her period. And while she was home, she took a home pregnancy test and she couldn't believe her eyes. She was pregnant. She was over the moon and excited to show the world, I am going to be the best mother ever. But her joy wouldn't last long because by September, she found out it was a molar pregnancy. This is a misnomer because it's not a pregnancy at all. According to D.T. Hughes's book, it's a tumor-like growth, not a fetus that actually grows. So Darcy and Ray were upset by the fact that it wasn't a baby or that they weren't pregnant any longer, but Darcy appeared to have taken it okay. Although she never acknowledged that it was not in fact a pregnancy and she told everyone that she miscarried. But she did a few odd things. For one, her brother and her sister-in-law gave birth to a baby that fall and they happened to be Darcy and Ray's next door neighbors or something like that. They live in the same apartment complex. Well, two days after the baby was born, this being her nephew, the two couples and the baby were hanging out and Darcy just nonchalantly says out loud to the baby's mom, quote, wouldn't it be neat if you and I both could breastfeed the baby? End quote. What the flip? Oh, no. The conversation didn't stop there, though. Darcy had the entire thing planned out. She was like, you leave the baby with me a few nights a week and I'll take care of him and I'll breastfeed him through the night. And, you know, you just you just stay home and get some rest, girl. Now, this didn't go over so well with Darcy's brother and his wife, but they thought that Darcy was harmless. So much so that they actually, even though she's crazy talking about she's going to breastfeed this baby, they actually end up leaving the baby with Darcy to babysit on occasion, you know, just to go out for dinner and things like that. Well, I, I think it's unknown if Darcy ever tried to breastfeed the baby and the baby probably doesn't know. So there's that. Well, months later, in the summer of 1986, Darcy showed up at work at the G.I. Joe department store and she told a co-worker that she was pregnant, even though she knew full well that she was not pregnant. Now, Darcy was so excited to share the news with her co-worker. She also shared the news that she really wanted to marry Ray, but that, you know, Ray wasn't so sure he wasn't ready yet. Now, at this point, Darcy did not tell Ray that she was pregnant. She didn't play that whole part about being pregnant to him. But oddly, she began to gain tons of weight, upwards of 50 pounds. Darcy even went as far as taking maternity leave from work. But then she called her co-worker and told her co-worker that she delivered a stillborn, even though she was never pregnant. Now, word got around that Darcy had taken maternity leave 
from the G.I. Joe store and it got to Darcy's mom. Now, Sandra, her mom, was confused. Why had Darcy not told her that she had a baby or that she was pregnant? Now, Sandra, Darcy's mom, was confused. Why had Darcy not told her that she had a baby or that she was pregnant? So, of course, Sandra confronts Darcy like, hey, girl, did you have a baby? Like, what's going on? Now, Darcy cried to her mom, admitting that she had made the entire thing up. Sandra, her mom, was so upset. And, you know, she was somewhat perturbed. She told Darcy, if you keep this up, you will never be blessed with a baby. And Darcy promised, I promise, I promise, I will never do a thing like this again. By fall of 86, Darcy told her boyfriend at the time, Ray, that she was pregnant. And Ray believed her. She had been gaining weight and she couldn't stand some foods anymore that she had previously loved, like pizza or something like that. And almost as soon as Darcy told Ray that she was pregnant, he agreed to marry her. Now, Darcy was over the moon, but she had a little secret. She wasn't really pregnant. That didn't bother Darcy. She had plenty of time to either actually get pregnant or, you know, it didn't matter. She was going to figure something out. Now, Darcy played it up. She was already gaining weight. She stopped eating certain foods. She started taking prenatal vitamins. She stopped drinking alcohol and she began to wear maternity clothes. I mean, this girl was so cray cray that she even told her husband that she could no longer sleep on her belly because of the baby. And she was constantly constipated. I mean, she even lied about being constipated. Maybe she was constipated. I don't know. Well, there's one thing that is certain. Darcy was full of crap. Darcy continued to see her OBGYN every month, hoping, praying that she was pregnant. But no dice. It didn't happen. It was now December of 1986, and Darcy knew full well she was not pregnant. But by this point, she had everyone believing that she was close to four to five months pregnant. Interestingly, even though Darcy was not in fact pregnant, she did stop getting her period. It is believed that Darcy actually experienced a pseudo pregnancy. Well, Darcy and Ray were married and Darcy wore a beautiful maternity wedding gown because, you know, there was no way that she'd fit into a regular dress with that baby belly that she was telling people about. By January of 1987, Ray had enlisted in the Air Force and he left his bride while he attended training. Now, the baby was allegedly due in April and the hope was that Ray would be home from all his training to meet the baby. Before then, though, Darcy's family threw her a beautiful baby shower and she showed up glowing. She was so excited to be preparing for the new baby. At the shower, some guests touched Darcy's belly and they even felt the baby move. It would later be determined that Darcy had actually, get this, trained her abs to move on command beneath all the fat that she had put on. So when people would touch her belly, they were deceived into thinking it was the baby moving. How insane is that? When Ray got home from all his training, he had some news. His first assignment was Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. And Darcy was excited, but everyone thought, hey, girl, you should wait until the baby is born before you move. But pish posh, 
Darcy would hear none of it. Her doctor said that she could travel and have the baby in New Mexico. Ray even allegedly got a call from Darcy's doctor saying it was okay for Darcy to travel. Against everyone's advice, Darcy and Ray set off from Oregon to New Mexico. In New Mexico, there was still no sign of baby Pierce. What gives? So Sandra, being a concerned mom and soon-to-be grandmother, called Darcy's OBGYN back in Oregon to see about the due date. Whomever answered the phone didn't believe in doctor-patient confidentiality because they looked at Darcy's chart, okay, here, 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 and they told Sandra that Darcy hadn't been seen since February and her pregnancy test was negative. What? Now, Sandra was stunned. Oh, she called Darcy with the news, but Darcy assured her mom, 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 there must be a mix up with the doctor's office. She assured her mom that the original due date from April was incorrect and that since the baby was measuring small, her new due date had been shifted by three months. Baby Pierce was now due in July. (laughs) This is crazy. Eventually, when July was upon them, Darcy didn't know how else to buy time, so she told everyone she was being induced. According to D.T. Hughes's book, by this point, Darcy had been wearing maternity clothes, forget this, close to one year. I mean, listen, I wore maternity clothes after I had my baby, but by then I had my baby, you know? On July 22nd, Darcy and Ray had picked up a new car. It was a Mustang. At this point, Darcy was still playing up the pregnancy. She even tested out the new baby car seat in the car. And it, was, it wasn't it was a good fit. You know, car, car seats don't fit well in, in Mustangs, but they were going to make it do. Darcy had told Ray that the induction was scheduled at 5 p.m. the following day on July 23rd. Ray, in typical male fashion, wanted to take the Mustang to work with him that day. This was going to be the family car, but before the baby was born, he wanted to have the car for one day. That morning, he left to work in the Mustang, leaving behind the white Volkswagen Bug. As Ray left for work, Darcy was left with her thoughts. How the flip was she going to come up with a baby by 5 p.m.? By this point, she had an entire year to plan, but she didn't know what to do. According to her, she thought about disappearing. She jumped in the white bug, went to the gas station on base and filled up. Then, without packing a bag or anything, she drove around base until she found herself at the base clinic. She parked her car, she walked inside, and she wandered aimlessly, trying to figure it out. She got back in her bug. It was close to 1 p.m. at this point, And she got an idea. Oh, you know what? She realized that on the other side of the clinic was the OBGYN clinic. So she drove around back. As she approached the other side, a very pregnant woman climbed out of a red blazer. This lady looked like she was about to pop. It was 23-year-old Cindy Ray. In that instant, Darcy decided that she was going to park her car next to Cindy's and she was going to wait for her to come out of the clinic. Darcy's plan was to convince the pregnant lady to give her the baby. Okay, now listen, is anyone else wondering what the heck? How? 
Even if Cindy said, yes, crazy lady in a white Volkswagen bug, please, please take my baby that I've been, you know, making in my belly for nine months. How was this going to help Darcy, who was going to be, quote, induced at 5 p.m.? Huh? Riddle me this, Darcy. Well, Darcy knew full well she didn't want to chat with Cindy. So Darcy waited and waited and waited. Remember, Cindy's appointment was at 2 p.m., but she stayed later to check on the baby. Now, Darcy said that she was waiting in the heat of New Mexico for close to two hours and had just about given up hope when Cindy came out of the clinic. Now, Darcy at this point was parked next to Cindy's car to the left of Cindy's car. Darcy was in the passenger side and as Cindy approached her car, Darcy popped out of the passenger side and told Cindy she needed to talk. She asked Cindy to get in the bug. Now, Cindy was shocked, but Darcy begged, please, please. She just needed someone to talk to. But Darcy was prepared. Before she got into her car that day to disappear or whatever it was that she was going to do, she actually took a replica pistol with her and it looked like a real gun. And she had this with her when she confronted Cindy. Now, Cindy got in the passenger seat and Darcy got in the driver's seat. While she was in the driver's seat, she had that replica gun on her lap. Now, Darcy drove from the base clinic to her house. But as she pulled up, she saw the Mustang. Crap! Her husband had gotten home from work early that day, remember, because he got home at 2 p.m. and she was thinking he was going to get home later that day. So Darcy did a U-turn and headed off base with Cindy in her car. Now, Darcy drove down towards I-40, then down on Highway 14 towards the Manzano Mountains. There were multiple times when Darcy thought that, you know, this is a crazy, I should turn around because she didn't know what she was going to do. But instead, Darcy just kept driving. Eventually, Darcy stopped on the side of the road near the mountains. It's unclear to me if Darcy hit Cindy over the head or what, but eventually the two ladies were out of the vehicle and one of the car doors or both of the car doors, in fact, were blocking traffic from passing because it was kind of a small, like, you know, when you're driving through the mountains, there's like these, these small roads where there's like one lane going and one lane coming. So that's uh, basically uh, Darcy had parked her car in a weird way. They were under a tree when Darcy struck Cindy again. Cindy must have fallen to the ground because there was no sign of a struggle. And then Darcy raided Cindy's purse and she found the baby monitor strap that Cindy's nurse had used at the medical appointment to check on the baby. And then Darcy wraps this monitor strap around Darcy's neck and she pulls and pulls and pulls until Cindy stopped moving. Now, Cindy wasn't dead at this point, but she was unconscious. At this point, Cindy's on the ground and Darcy pops up. She's trying to figure out what the heck is she going to do? How was she going to get the baby? Now, Darcy drags Cindy's body down a little bit ways to be hidden from the street view. And just then, a man in a vehicle stops and approaches the Volkswagen bug. So he's on foot. He gets out of his car because he needs to get by on the road. But 
the car looks like it's abandoned. He couldn't get by. And Darcy sees the man and she starts walking towards him. She's all like maybe a little bit just trying to be calm. Now, the man was like, hello, lady, I'm trying to get by. Can you move your car? And Darcy was fixing her dress and fixing her hair. And Darcy yelled, my friend and I need to be left alone. Now, she said this over and over again. The man thought that Darcy was just trying to get it on with a lover in the bushes because Darcy just kept repeating herself. My friend and I need to be left alone. And either Darcy or the man closed the doors of the vehicle. The man gets into his car and then he leaves. But as he looks in the rearview mirror, he saw Darcy kind of like get on her knees and start crawling towards the person who was on the floor. But the man didn't think anything of it. He thought just a couple of girls trying to get it on. He'd later regret not making a bigger fuss at this moment. After the man left, Darcy continued to rummage through Cindy's purse. She was looking for a sharp object and she found it. Cindy's brand new car key, the key to the red blazer. Cindy's unconscious, Darcy pulled up Cindy's dress while Cindy lay breathing but motionless. She pulled down her undergarments and she jammed the key with all her might right above Cindy's pubic bone. She used the rough edge of the key to make a five and a half inch incision across Cindy's abs. Now, I have had two C-sections myself and just know that it's not just the skin and abs that you have to cut during a C-section. You're cutting through skin, fat, muscle, and ultimately the uterus. As Darcy crudely cut Cindy, it was later revealed that Darcy's incision couldn't have been more perfect, more perfect for the baby, that is. But when Darcy put her hands in to grab the baby, the incision was too small. So Darcy grabbed both sides of the incision and ripped to make it bigger. It was as if Darcy thought she was dressing a deer. Then again, Darcy put her hands inside Cindy's uterus and grabbed the baby. But her work was not yet done. What about the umbilical cord? Well, that was not a problem for Darcy because Darcy savagely bit through the umbilical cord with her teeth to separate Cindy's baby from Cindy's body. Then Darcy removed her dress to keep the baby warm as she cleared the baby's nose and throat to ensure that the baby was okay. But there was one more thing she needed to do. She splashed some blood down her inner thighs and legs to make it seem like the baby had come from her. Then she quickly jumped in her car and drove like hell as she left Cindy to die on the side of the mountain. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. 
you will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. When Darcy arrived at the Acura dealership, she told her tale of having one hard contraction and boom, the baby just came out. When asked about the umbilical cord, Darcy admitted that she bit right through it. Oh my gosh! The men looked at her in awe. They thought she was a badass. Little did they know she had just murdered the baby's mother. When Darcy was at the hospital, Ray was so excited. He couldn't believe the story. And the pair quickly began to call the family to tell them the good news. Baby Amanda Michelle had arrived. By this point, Dr. Graham, the resident, had spoken to the head of the OBGYN, Dr. John Slocum. He saw Darcy's belly from afar and agreed that something was off. Also, why was all the blood near Darcy's legs rather than higher up on her, like, thighs? And the most telling of all signs, the baby's head was perfectly shaped, indicative of a C-section birth rather than a vaginal birth. Well, Dr. Slocum also saw something that maybe not just anyone would notice. On the dress that the baby came wrapped in, there were little tiny cedar twigs, These are only found in the mountains. When Dr. Slocum pressed Darcy to find out if she had recently been to the mountains, she got particularly nervous and he noticed. You see, she said, the baby was born in Santa Fe. A few months earlier, Darcy met the mother in the parking lot of an abortion clinic and she convinced the young lady to sell her the baby instead of going through with an abortion. So that morning, July 23rd, With the help of a midwife, the abortion clinic lady delivered a baby. Darcy gave her $10,000 and voila, here's the baby. Darcy even went as far as attempting to bribe the doctor. How much to give me a birth certificate and keep this whole thing hush-hush between us pals? Nope, no way. The doctor didn't believe this story either. And no, she couldn't pay him any amount to get him to go along with her crazy story. The hospital staff immediately called the police. They called Child Protective Services and they locked down the nursery. They also put security guards outside of Darcy's room. This broad isn't going anywhere, they thought. That night, even though Darcy had already confessed to the doctors that the baby wasn't hers, she still played along with her husband, making him believe that the baby was theirs. They even walked over to the nursery to gaze at the baby girl. Ray thought the baby girl looked like Darcy and Darcy assured him the baby looked just like him. The nurse, Elizabeth Kohler, was shocked. 
In the early morning hours of July 24th, Nurse Elizabeth had heard about the other missing pregnant military wife, and she decided to confront Darcy. She asked Darcy if she knew anything about Cindy, but Darcy denied knowing her. By 7 a.m., Ray was finally told the truth. The baby was not his, and Darcy was not pregnant. Everyone originally thought that Ray might be in on it, but he was truly shocked. At the same time, the police showed up to question Darcy. She rehashed the entire story about buying the baby in Santa Fe. But after going in circles with Darcy, one of the officers said, is this Cindy's baby? And Darcy said, no, it's not. It's mine. I got it from a surrogate mother, just like I told you. The police eventually left, realizing they weren't going to get anywhere with this crazy lunatic. But Nurse Elizabeth thought she might know a way to get through to Darcy. Nurse Elizabeth asked Darcy if she wanted to see the baby, and Darcy jumped at the opportunity. The nurse brought in the baby, and Darcy lit up. She held the baby, whispering, Amanda Michelle, Amanda Michelle, Amanda Michelle. She looked up at the nurse and said, quote, I feel like a complete person for the first time in my life. This baby is going to live its entire life with me, end quote. Darcy continued to explain her entire upbringing and told the nurse that her mom had given her up for adoption. Nurse Elizabeth asked Darcy if the baby that she was holding would feel the same way about her own mother if she didn't know the truth. The nurse pried a little more. Do you know where the baby's mother is? She asked. Darcy said, quote, Ray's going to leave me. If he finds out I've been lying, he'll leave me, end quote. Eventually, Darcy said, Oh, I've done something terrible. Darcy spoke to detectives and she agreed to take them to the mountains to the baby's mother. During the drive, she had random outbursts shouting, I killed her, followed by talkative moments discussing her trip to South Africa. Darcy was somewhat of a drama queen. In fact, at one point, one of the investigators discusses that when she thought that they were near the location of the body, Darcy started freaking out. But when she realized it was the wrong road, she was like, oh, I'm fine. (laughs) According to those with her, it was really quite theatrical. Well, Darcy was charged with murder, kidnapping and child endangerment and held on $500,000 bond. And of course, the case made national headlines. Can you imagine an 18-year-old Air Force wife fakes pregnancy, kills a pregnant 23-year-old Air Force wife, rips the fetus out on the side of the road and passes it as her own. Can you imagine? And the two ladies, Cindy and Darcy, looked actually quite similar. The trial began the following year and there was so much corroborating evidence. Darcy's confession, the brand new car key with, you know, human tissue on it, the witnesses who saw Darcy waiting in the parking lot of the clinic for two hours, the eyewitness who saw Darcy on the side of the road and Cindy laying on the ground, the car dealership people who saw the baby. I mean, it wasn't a case of who done it. It was a case of why. 
And it was at trial that Darcy's defense would reveal the answer because Darcy pled not guilty by reason of insanity. The jury was made up of seven men and five women, and the trial lasted four weeks and the prosecution painted Darcy as a con artist, an actress, a liar. And they emphasized that she built her insanity defense on lies, lies, and more lies. The defense, however, argued that Darcy was suffering from disassociative disorder. The trial felt like a battle of mental health professionals. Four experts testified for the defense and two for the prosecution. But even with all the medical definitions and legal wranglings, the jury only took five and a half hours to deliberate and they returned a guilty verdict. They said she was guilty, but mentally ill. But you know what? In New Mexico, at least at that time when this case happened in the 80s, this was a success for the prosecution. Now, Darcy sits in jail with the rest of the prison population, and she will be eligible for parole after serving a minimum of 30 years. That means that Darcy became eligible for parole in 2017. A review of the New Mexico Corrections Department website, though, indicates that Darcy is still in prison as of this recording. Before I end, let me take you back to when Sam met his daughter for the first time. Sam went to the hospital and a little bundle of baby joy was placed in his arms. Sam tried to think of the baby's beauty as he looked into her eyes, but all he kept thinking was, this is all I have left of my wife. The doctors told Sam that the baby was somewhat of a miracle. After a half dozen tests or so, there was not a single thing wrong with the baby. She really was a miracle baby. And her name was Amelia. It was a name that Cindy had picked out for her first daughter since she was 15 years old. After Cindy's murder, Sam had applied for a hardship separation from the military. Before Cindy died, his plan was to finish his six-year military commitment and get out of the military and go back to college. But because his situation was so rare, the Air Force actually allowed him to separate early. Sam eventually remarried and Luke and Amelia got a new mommy. Sam and his new wife had another baby, a baby brother for Luke and Amelia. And it was so sad because it has been told that when the mom was super pregnant, little Luke was afraid that the woman who wanted babies was going to steal his baby and kill his new mommy. Now, when I read this in D.T. Hughes's book, I lost it. How terrible is that? Of course, I have heard about stories of fetal abductions in the past, but I didn't think that this was a modern day crime. Imagine, though, my surprise as I was wrapping up this story when I read that in Brazil, just in late August of this year, a 36 week pregnant woman was lured into attending a fake baby shower. Get this. The baby shower was being thrown by the pregnant woman's old school friend. When the pregnant woman showed up, the friend and her husband allegedly attacked the pregnant woman with a brick. They ripped the baby out and then dumped the woman's body. Later, the couple showed up to the hospital with the baby. Now, the female murder suspect stated that she miscarried a baby in January of 2020 and had been obsessed with having a baby since. 
she didn't tell folks that she had lost the baby back in January of 2020. And so when time came for her to have a baby, she decided to kill her pregnant friend. Now, the phenomena is so large that there's actually a podcast dedicated to just these types of cases. It's called fetal abduction. If you want to hear more stories about this type of case, then I recommend checking out that podcast. I want to thank my listeners, Tina and Savannah, for recommending this case. I had never heard about this case before, and it allowed me to showcase that military spouses can also do some crazy things too, although most of the cases I cover about military members or veterans. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Make sure that you're following me on social media, on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast, and be sure to join my Facebook discussion group found at facebook.com slash groups slash military true crime. Special shout out to all of my listeners who donated while I was on hiatus. This show's special producers are all of my phenomenal listeners who donated during that time. And here they are. Falcon 13, Z, that's right, just the letter Z, <laughs> Deb P, Robert H, Melissa C, Corrine F, Carl P, and Stacy N. All of you absolutely rock and your support means the world to me. In fact, it encouraged me to come back more quickly because <laughs> uh, who knows if I ever would have picked up the mic again. Uh, but I, I really do. I really do love the listeners. I love producing this show for you. And thank you so much for donating uh, to the podcast to ensure that the podcast continues to go on. All right. So this show was created by Mama Margot Productions and the music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Podcast.